turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I would say Bibles are available, but they're not. So hopefully you already grabbed one if you needed it. Okay. If anyone needs a Bible, we have Bibles. Uh, There's also the Bible app on our church app, which is helpful. This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians, and we're, we're finishing this morning a series of studies where we've been learning um, from Paul's praise to God in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And in part 5 today, we're going to be studying verses 11 through 14, but let's start reading in verse 3, and we're going to read all the way through verse 14 to start. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him, verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory." As I've said in prior studies, the the blessings that Paul details for us in verses 3 through 14 are not meant to trip us up, to to cause us to get puffed up in spiritual pride, to drive us to separate from one another into different uh, theological factions or camps or or bring division and strife and, and disunity in the church. Instead, all of the deep theological doctrinal truths that are found in these verses should lead us to do the same thing that it led the Apostle Paul to do, which is to praise and worship our God, to rejoice in who he is and what he's done, to to, uh, thank him and to praise him and to rejoice in what he said to us and about us. Uh, There's so much to thank our God for. And if our takeaway as we finish studying this section of verses today isn't primarily us wanting to bless and praise and worship the Lord, be in awe of our Lord, then as I've been saying, we've missed the point of why these verses are here for us as saints. Four weeks ago, just a little recap here, we looked at the importance of verse 3, the foundation that it sets for the verses to follow, uh, learn something crucial, crucial from Paul's praise to God, which is that the Father has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Three weeks ago in verses four through six, we saw some specific ways that God the Father has blessed us. These blessings seen in us being chosen in verse four, adopted in verse five, and accepted in verse six. Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 7 through 10, where we started to see some specific ways that God the Son has blessed us. These blessings seen in us being redeemed through his blood and forgiven of our sins, as we saw in verse 7. 
and given revelation of his will, as we saw in verses 9 and 10. Then last week, we revisited verse 9 and from there took a deeper dive into what God's word says about God's will for our lives. And now today, we're going to see another specific way God the Son has blessed us, and also a specific way God the Holy Spirit has blessed us as we study verses 11 through 14. But with God's Trinitarian involvement in mind, I want to revisit a quote I showed you guys a few weeks back by Warren Wiersbe, just so we keep the right mindset as we consider the work of our God in these verses. He wrote, we should not think that each person of the Godhead works independently because they all work together to make possible our, our salvation. But each person has a special ministry to perform, a special spiritual deposit, quote unquote, to make in our lives. And we see that all throughout these verses, that God in all his fullness is working all of these things in our lives as believers. And so with that, read verses 11 and 12 with me. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Another one of the things that God the Son, Jesus himself, has done for us as his saints, another one of the ways he's blessed us, as we now see in verse 11, is that he's given us an inheritance. See, for us as saints, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, having our sins forgiven, being put in the position where we could have any sort of spiritual inheritance is only because we've been placed in Christ through his free gift of salvation. These things, these spiritual blessings, over and over again, are ours in him. In him, in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ, over and over, we're pointed back to Jesus. Jesus is who has given us access to every single one of these amazing, profound, mind-blowing, mind-boggling sort of promises and blessings that we see in these verses before us. It's all because of him. Which just reminds us again and again, as we read all of this, that without Jesus, we would not be able to have or experience any of these blessings. Any. But now because of Jesus and in Jesus, you and I, again, as saints, these are specific to saved people, have now obtained an inheritance. Um, I didn't grow up thinking about inheritances. Like, that was never a thought in my mind. Like, man, one day, I, maybe I'll get an inheritance. I just, that wasn't even a thing. Like, I don't, you just kind of do, do your, you get in this mode and you're working and, and you, you, you know, like, many of us were going, hey, like, okay, we want to set ourselves up for retirement. And then as you get older, you start to think about these different dynamics of life and like, what are you going to leave for your kids potentially? And, and how are you going to provide for yourself when you're not working? And, and all of these things start to come into play that maybe when you're younger, you don't really think about so much. But as you age, something like an inheritance starts to become something where it's like, that's kind of cool. That's pretty special. You see people when they're young and, and people who are come from wealthy homes sometimes and you hear stories about how people waste away inheritances. Like they get it and it's just gone and, and you go, what, how, like, how did that even happen? But to know that spiritually from God, you and I have been given, we've obtained, we've received, an inheritance. This is a pretty special thing, and I think it's worth spending a, a little bit of time here considering. Galatians 3, 
verses 26 through 29, Paul writing, this Galatia, just so we're all in the same way, Galatia wasn't like a church. Galatia is a region. He's writing to churches in the region of Galatia. Paul writing there says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We become children of God not by being like we're just, we exist. You're born and you're a children of God. Because I think that's how a lot of people in our society, even just today, like, yeah, like we're children of God. Like, well, that's not biblically accurate. You become a child of God when you put, you personally, not your grandparent, not somebody else, you put your faith in Christ Jesus. Being baptized into Christ is not a reference to water baptism. It's just another reference to salvation. Being baptized into Christ means being immersed in Christ. Because we're now in Christ through faith, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What this is referring to is that because Abraham was justified by faith before the giving of the law, this is really important, before the giving of the law, it shows us that God has always desired our faith. He's always desired our faith. So when we come to the Father through faith in his Son, we, we essentially become Abraham's seed, offspring of faith. And because of our faith, we become heirs according to the promise. So just as Abraham received God's promise by faith, so we also receive God's promise now by faith as well. Our faith in Christ brings us into the family of God, and now as children of God, we are called heirs. And because we're heirs, we get to share the privileges of being an heir, and part of that is the family inheritance. Now, this idea of us getting an inheritance is, is kind of an interesting uh, thing when we think about it a little further. An, in, an inheritance is only passed on when somebody dies. That's how inheritances come about. Someone has died. And on the one hand, this makes complete sense, knowing that Jesus' death has invited us into this inheritance, but the interesting part is that Jesus didn't stay dead. When he rose from the dead, he could have just said, Psych! You all thought you were getting this inheritance that belonged to me. It's all mine. It's all me. It's all mine. And just like, God, all stingy with it. He didn't do that. He rose, and yet he still invites us to partake of and receive of what really belongs to him. He's extending to us. We've obtained this inheritance that really Jesus is the only rightful heir of, and yet because we are now be, we've now become children of God, we've been invited into this thing and become co-heirs with Christ. That's significant. This is huge for you and me. Peter also spoke into this subject of, of an, a spiritual inheritance as well in his first letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We're going to look at that here, but we're going to focus in on verse 4. Peter writing in his first letter, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice in verse 4, to an inheritance reserved in heaven for us. But what do we know about this inheritance? Well, Peter doesn't actually tell us what the inheritance is. He doesn't go into detail about what we're all being invited into. Instead, he just tells us what it is not. What's not. That it's not like any other kind of inheritance that you and I would ever know this side of heaven. He says in verse 4 that it's not able to be corrupted. This means our inheritance is imperishable. It will not break down over time. It will not decay. He says that it's not able to be defiled. This means our inheritance is pure. That it cannot be tainted. It cannot be polluted. He goes on to say that it will not fade away. This means our inheritance can never lose its quality or its value or its beauty. And then lastly, he says that it's reserved for us in heaven, which means that God is watching over our inheritance and he will not let anything happen to it until we receive it in its fullness. It's being kept by the power of God himself for you and me. And this should encourage us to know that there's infinitely better things that await us as disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, there can be this sort of um, thought that kind of is shared at times and it can be easy to want to latch on to of like, you know what? Things are going to get better. Like the best is still ahead of us. And I've heard it from the pulpit said that, like the best is yet to come. It's like, but I think that we need to clarify what we mean when we say something like that. Because I think that we're actually giving a false assurance, a false hope when we don't say the best is yet to come for us eternally. Because if the best is yet to come on this side of heaven, what we're seeing now And what the scriptures paint for us as what the end time scenario looks like is not in the physical sense. The best is yet to come. Because when the best doesn't come, what happens for you and me? We get disappointed. Our expectations get thrashed. Because I thought the best was still yet to come. But the truth is, it is in the eternal sense, not in the physical. We're not putting our hope that our bodies are going to improve as we age and as we get closer to graduating into glory that that everything's going to improve for us. We're not thinking that as we uh, as time goes on, our, our finances are just going to exponentially increase and we're, all, we're never going to have any lack in that sort of area. We're not banking on physical things that we see in this world because all of those things are, are non-guaranteed. Can your health improve? Yes. Can your finances grow? Yes. There's a lot of things that can, but they're not assurances that we find in Scripture In this life, the best is yet to come eternally. Why? Because heaven is in store for you and me. Everything is going to get infinitely better when you and I graduate into glory. And I use that word graduate purposefully because too many people have this mindset of, death that it is it is just it's like this final word uh, like but when we look at it from a scriptural standpoint it is graduation day death is no longer a foe to you and me why because Jesus took the sting out of death 
So now what death is for you and me, it's actually a faithful friend that transports us to see our Lord face to face. And I get it. I'm not making light of the physical. Things hurt. It's hard to lose people. It's hard when we suffer. Those are all real things. And I'm not diminishing any of that. But guys, we need an eternal perspective on life. When we think about this aspect of inheritance, this is, these are, are eternal things that should transform our present thinking. So that we're not banking on everything being better now. I'm banking on the promises of God that he's going to make everything better for all eternity. For you and for me. One day every wrong is going to be righted. We know that. The righteous judge is going to judge righteously. He's going to do it. But that same righteous judge is also an amazing, benevolent, good king and father who has said, this inheritance is for you. It's for you by faith. In Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. Notice in Ephesians 1.11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here, as Paul did in verse 5, he uses the word predestined again. This time, referring to our inheritance. And just a reminder, predestination, determining beforehand, refers to the purposes of God. It refers primarily in God's word to what God does for saved people as we considered in our study of verses 4 through 6. We see that the purpose of predestination in, in connection to us Obtaining an inheritance in verse 12 is that the purpose being that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That phrase first trusted in the Greek carries the sense of hoping beforehand. Hoping beforehand. This reminds us that we as Christians are to be marked as people of hope. Don't freak out. It's just the wind. There's a flappy metal thing on the roof. It's been doing that for years, if you're concerned. <clears throat> Anyone listening later on is going to be like, what is happening there? We as Christians are to be marked as people of hope. And our hope in Christ is something the Lord wants to use to bring others to that place where they will put their hope in Jesus Christ as well. See, most often, this is usually the way it works, when someone puts their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, it's because there was someone who had hoped in Christ before them who shared the gospel with them, declared the hope of Jesus to them, which led them to also trust in Christ. But just because Paul and other saints in the Lord had been hoping in Christ longer than the saints in Ephesus had, it didn't mean that they had greater access to that inheritance from Jesus than others who had been trusting, who hadn't been trusting in Christ as long, because we all in Christ have equal access to that same inheritance. And Paul's going to make that clear in the next couple of verses. But I like what Pastor J. Vernon McGee in the Bible bus said about this. Dearly beloved, he wrote, he wrote if you ever listen to Dr. McGee, he's awesome. He says this, here is another marvelous truth. He gives us an inheritance. He rewards us for something we have not done. It is the overall purpose and plan of God that believers should have a part in Christ's inheritance. They are going to inherit with Christ because they are in Christ. He went on to say, 
God has predestinated this. He has determined it. This refers to the saved. Remember that God never predestinated anybody to be lost. He predestinated us to receive an inheritance. If he hadn't predestinated to me, he says, I would never get one. It is something I do not deserve. It is a reward out of his grace and not out of my merit. This is God's will, and that is the only basis on which it is done. It is good, and it is right, and it is the best. Why? Because God has purposed it. You just can't have it any better than that. And I just say, amen, Dr. McGee. You know, praise Jesus that according to his purpose, the counsel of his will, he predestined, he determined beforehand to give us this inheritance, that this was his work. Do you see that in, I think it's verse 12? Nope. Verse 11? He works. Jesus labored for what you and I get for free. He worked to bring this all about. He did it. It was his doing. Doing everything that was necessary to bring this all about for us. And just a reminder, that phrase, to the praise of his glory, is, is a phrase Paul is using to, each, uh, to end each section after listing some of the blessings we receive from each person of the triune Godhead. We saw this in verse 6 when he finished talking about the blessings from the Father. We saw it. Uh, we see it here in verse 12 when talking about the blessings from God the Son. And we're going to see it again in verse 14 when talking about the blessings we receive from God the Holy Spirit. And after having listed some of the ways we've been blessed by God, the work of Jesus, what he's accomplished for us, Paul bursts forth in worship again as he exclaims to the praise of his glory. I mean, what do we say what do we say to knowing we've obtained an inheritance that didn't, we didn't deserve, that didn't originally belong to us, but that we've been brought into by the work of Jesus, the blood of Jesus? We just say, praise you, Lord. And God, make us a praise to you in this world as those who have put our hope in Christ. But moving on, verses 13 and 14. It says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul and, and others had hoped in Christ beforehand, becoming trophies of God's grace that God then used to lead others to himself, which brought himself glory. But now in verse 13, we see the pro process, really, of someone coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and being sealed with the Holy Spirit. How does someone come to a place of trusting in Christ, putting their hope in him, surrendering their lives to him and his lordship, trusting in who he is and what he's done. Well, it starts with hearing. Hearing. Notice the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel is a message that must be conveyed. And if someone is deaf, then there's sign language. If someone is blind, there's braille. There is a way to convey the message of the gospel so that essentially someone else is able to hear and then believe. But it starts with hearing. And I love this. God's word is truth. You see that there? The word of truth, which is extremely important for us to know and be confident in and be on the same page about because we live in a world that no longer sees truth as objective, but now as subjective, 
determined by feelings rather than by an absolute standard that everything else has to bow in subjection to. Everyone's just making up their own truth, which means there's no one has it. No one has truth because everyone has it as their own version of it. However they see it, through whatever their lens is and their history and their circumstances and their emotion at a certain time of day and what somebody did to them or said to them, their truth is shaped by themselves and what's going on around them, but it's not shaped by an absolute standard, a cornerstone that everything else has to line up to anymore. I was listening to a message by um, the late Pastor Tim Keller. It's weird to say late. Um, and he was just talking about like ministry in New York City and like how um, really it's not even like post, we're, we're not even like in a postmodern age anymore because people are realizing that in saying that truth is, is subjective, that um, no one can speak into anything anymore. Like no one can have a problem with something because how can you... How can you object to something when there is no moral standard, when there is no absolute truth? If it's just what you make it and it changes and morphs and can be shaped, and it, then, then how can you call something wrong? How can we say about certain, how can we look at the mass shooting in Maine and go, that was wrong, what that person did is evil? Well, what if that was that person's truth? Postmodernism does not work. Our own version of truth does not work. And praise God that God's word is truth. We don't have to wonder if these things are going to flex and move and, and maybe it's going to change over time. No, these things are solid. They're concrete. We can stand upon them with all certainty. God's word is truth. His gospel is truth. I love what Tim Keller said about this. He said, becoming a Christian, he wrote, or said, doesn't start by us doing something, but by us hearing something. The truth of Christianity is the gospel, he said. The gospel is not good advice about what we should do. It's good news about what God has done. That's the thing, like, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, the people in Jesus' day, like, what can we do to do the works of God? What's the thing? Because the Pharisees were all about what they were doing. What can we do to do the works of God? And he says, believe in the one whom he has sent. Believe. And man, we don't, in ourselves, don't like that. I want to do something. I want to earn it. I want to be able to pat my back Pat myself on the back for it. I, I contributed. I did something. And yet the gospel is a historic message that points us back to what God has done. What Jesus did upon the cross through his death and then by rising from the grave three days later. We come to learn the truth about salvation through God's word and the message of the gospel in God's word. And this message must be heard. It must be received in order to be believed, to be trusted. But that belief, that trust in the word of truth, that the gospel message about Jesus is what leads a person to salvation, becoming born again. We could say uh, another term is regenerated by the spirit of God. And upon receiving Jesus' free gift of salvation, also simultaneously being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, when a person gets saved by Jesus, they're also sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this is another one of our spiritual blessings. In verses 13 and 14, we now see a specific way, moving on from the blessings from God the Son, a specific way that God the Holy Spirit has blessed us, this blessing in these verses seen in us being sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Those who hear the gospel and believe, put their trust in Christ, receive Jesus' free gift of salvation, 
are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, or we could also translate it the promised Holy Spirit as uh, this dynamic of our relationship to the Holy Spirit coming inside of us is a, a promise of Scripture. But this means that every person who has received Jesus' free gift of salvation has been with, uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit then has marked us, sealing us as a sign of authentication, that we are genuinely saved. We genuinely belong to God, but also sealing us in a way where he's provided security and protection to us. Um, we don't really deal with like seals anymore. It's not like you see seals on official government doc, uh, documents oftentimes, right? So you know that the document is authentic. It's genuine. You can trust the source. But uh, there was also a part of sealing what they would do on letters. Some people may still be into this. They get the wax and they melt it. They put it and, they go, and then they have a stamp they stamp it and it has their little emblem on there it's so fun so cool and then you break the thing to open it um but but even on a property back in the day they would seal uh they would put a seal on uh timber when when lumber was being delivered into some of these areas and specifically Ephesus was one of those areas um they would seal the um the the logs so that they would know who the logs belonged to you got all this lumber coming in on the Aegean Sea. How, how are we to know who these individual uh, pieces of wood belong to? Well, they would seal. They'd mark each one with a very specific, distinct marking. And to know that God, the Holy Spirit, has done that with us. The mark of God, the seal of God is upon our lives. God knows those who belong to him. So many people struggle. How do I know if I'm really saved? Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in him? Did you hear the gospel message? Did you believe in Jesus Christ? If you have, Scripture tells us that you, when you put your faith in Christ, you were saved by the blood of Christ. And simultaneously, at the same time, in the realm of the Spirit, the Spirit of God came inside you and sealed you. You're His. And no one can break off that seal. No one can deny that that seal is there. It's genuine. It's authentic. You belong to God. He sees it. You might have a hard time seeing it, but he sees it. And in the same way that you would put contents into an envelope and you would seal it so that that thing would not be open until it made it to its destination, God has done that with us, putting us in Christ, sealing us with his spirit, saying, look, I'm going to deliver you to heaven. You're going to make it there, and I'm the one that's making that promise, and I will deliver and what a God we have. It makes sense when we see Paul three different times saying, to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. We've been marked in the best way possible. And our seal is the promised Holy Spirit. As we see in verse 14, the Holy Spirit has not just sealed us, but he's also the guarantee, and that word could also be translated earnest or pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is you and me. I like what Warren Wearsby said about this. He wrote in reference to that word uh, guarantee uses the word earnest there which actually is my middle name if any of you ever wondered not spelled that way this is a much better earnest than having it as a middle name <clears throat> he says earnest is a fast just a little insight into my life i mean if you wanted to know 
They're like, no, no, I really didn't, but thanks for telling me. Uh, Earnest, he says, is a fascinating word. In Paul's day, it meant the down payment to guarantee the final purchase, sorry, of some commodity or piece of property. Even today, you will hear a real estate agent talk about earnest money. The Holy Spirit is God's first installment to guarantee to his children that he will finish his work and eventually bring them to glory. The redemption of the purchased possession refers to the redemption of the body at the return of Christ, Romans 8, 18 through 23, and 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, he references. Redemption, he says, is experienced in three stages. First, we have been redeemed through faith in Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 7. We are being redeemed as the Spirit works in our lives to make us more like Christ, Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. And Third, we shall be redeemed when Christ returns and we become like him. He says, but the word translated earnest also means engagement ring. In Greece today, you would find this word being used that way. But after all, isn't an engagement ring an assurance, a guarantee that the promises made will be kept? Our relationship to God through Christ is not simply a commercial one but also a personal experience of love. He is the bridegroom and his church is the bride. We know that he will come and claim his bride because he has given us his promise and his spirit as the engagement ring. What greater assurance could we want? You know, what God has started, he will bring to its fulfillment. And this future redemption should give us confidence of far greater things, again, eternally to come, that God has promised that he will do. The Holy Spirit coming into our life as a first installment, a down payment, a taste of what to come with the guarantee that all he said is in store for us, he will make good on. And Paul, again, adding there to the praise of of his glory. So as we look back over verses 3 through 14, as a recap of some of the specific ways, we've been blessed by our triune God, with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. We see that we've been chosen, and adopted, and accepted. We've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus and had our sins forgiven. We've been given revelation of his will. We've been given an inheritance And we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And all these things just remind us, we are blessed. We are blessed. We talked about this four weeks ago in our very first study in verse 3. We're blessed. It doesn't matter how you feel. You might not feel very blessed at times. But what God says about us here, what God has said he's done for us here, Our takeaway should be, God, you truly have blessed me. You couldn't bless me anymore. All the spiritual blessings, you never withheld any of them. You you gave every single one to me and to us. Why? Because he's just that good. He's just that good. That's just the kind of God that we have. And man, there's been so much for us to learn here from Paul's praise to God in these verses that I pray God continues to uh, have us meditate upon and, um, and, and worship him even more for. But I'm going to have Lainey come back up. In closing, you know, after looking at all these things, the right response from us is, like Paul, Praise, worship, to bless our God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That we would see how amazing our God is. That we would stand confidently upon his word, which is truth. And that an outflow of all of that would be us wanting to just live wholeheartedly for our God, 
every day, knowing that he who made us these promises will faithfully make good on every single one of them. And we want other people to experience all of these blessings too. This isn't a hoarding sort of thing. Oh gosh, those hoarding shows? Holy cow. It's going to be bad, right? You're like, oh my gosh, how is this person even still alive? (laughs) How are they able to move around their house? Like, How do they not get a disease from all the dead rodents and different things? You know, it's like... This isn't a hoarding where we're like, oh, these are, well, just, uh, just mine. These are us. We're good. Us. We're over here. We as the body of Christ, we as believers. This is good. We're all good. We're okay. We've got inheritance. We've got all these blessings. Cool. Let's just all huddle together. Let's just stay here. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. If we put our hope in Christ, God wants to use us as trophies of his grace so that others will also put their hope in in Jesus, will experience the salvation of Jesus, and not one person is excluded from God's desire to do that. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, you are so amazing. Lord, why would you want to do any of this for us? Why would you extend yourself in this sort of way? Father, why would you send your son into this corrupt, rebellious, God-rejecting world? That Jesus would come and love and teach and minister and heal and touch and, and then die in our place, taking our sin and then giving us your spirit, Lord? As a, as a foretaste of things to come, as a down payment, a guarantee that, God, what you've said, you're going to make good on. God, you didn't know us any of it, and yet you did it anyways. And Lord, we just say thank you. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. Lord, rightfully, we are in awe of you this morning. God, we pray, Lord, that our perspective more and more would be shaped by your promises. Not shaped by our circumstances, Lord, not shaped by how we feel. Not shaped by what we see going on in the world, but Lord, our hope would be shaped by the truth of your word. Our, Our hope would be shaped by the truth of who you are what you've said you will do. And God, will we be those trophies of grace? Lord, that other people would look at us, see the hope that we have in Christ, and want you also. So Lord, lead us in these days. God, help us, Lord, to see, Lord, all that we have in Jesus. And Lord, would we live from that place, Lord? Live holy lives, live differently. And and Lord, I just pray for any this morning where, God, maybe their hope has been in the dumps. Lord, maybe they've been hoping that things are going to be better now. And Lord, they can potentially get better now. But Lord, maybe even this morning, you're just reminding them, Lord, to set their hope upon you. To set their hope upon the promises of your word. And God, would you encourage them today? God, would you strengthen them today? Would you uphold them? Realign, Lord, our hope if that's necessary. God, that we would truly be people who are marked by the hope of Jesus. But if you've joined us this morning and you've never put your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ, that he would be your Savior, that opportunity is for you. These promises can be yours. These blessings 
are things that you can receive as well, but you've got to humble yourself, repent of your sin, and put your trust in Jesus because he alone saves. Is that anybody today and you're going, that's me? Would you raise your hand if that's you so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? Lord, maybe even for someone who would be listening or watching now or later on, God, that even now maybe for them, they're going, that's me. I just encourage you, if that's you, that you would humble yourself before the Lord, that you would just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I desire your salvation. I want to become a child of God. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you shed your blood for me. That you rose again from the grave. Making every promise you made true. Jesus, I put my trust, my faith, my hope in you today. Be my Savior. Be my God. Be my King. Be my Lord. And would you be my friend? Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Would you seal me and empower me by your Spirit? And help me to live a life of hope. Live a life that's set apart to you. I just encourage you if you've done that. That you will be saved. And God has saved people this morning. We want to respond to your word just like Paul did. Blessing you. Praising you God. Worshiping you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you continue to move in our hearts, continue to move in this time and in this place. Lord, we continue to commit it to you now, Father. Our time of song, our time of taking communion, of receiving prayer. Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.